o'clock, Lord willing, and uh, we'll go ahead and pray in just a second and get started. Amen? Everybody in Ephesians chapter 5? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you tonight. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. And Lord, we ask that you would do a work in our lives. We pray for that anointing, oh God, to be on your word tonight, to produce uh, the godly fruit in our lives that you desire. Lord, I ask for that anointing to preach and teach as you desire. And Lord, we all ask for that anointing that we can hear and receive all that the Spirit is speaking to us tonight. And Lord, we ask it in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Everybody says, amen, amen, amen. So praise the Lord. We're going to be back in Ephesians chapter 5 tonight. We're continuing in this um, vein of thought about following after God. One of, the, one of the hallmarks of every believer, every disciple, is that you're a follower of Jesus. And one of the things that we see in the Word of God here is that God called you to follow Him in a special kind of way. He didn't just say follow Him. Notice what the Word of God says here in Ephesians 5 verse 1. It says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also had loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. One of the things that I talked about this morning was the simplicity of, of a child. A child has simplicity. And as God calls you to be a follower of him, one of the hallmarks of that is a simple trust, a simple obedience, a childlike faith as Jesus preached. You know that we're supposed to have childlike faith. Amen? Amen. One of the things that I, you know, as I was praying over the service that I, I see in a child, whenever you ask a child to do something and they go do it, you know that they're not worried about what they were doing. Amen? Once, once they transition, once they move from one thing that they're doing, say they're, they're, they're doing something over here, and you say, hey, let's go to the store, right? They hop in, they go to the store, and you know they're not worried about what they once were doing. They found something greater. What is it? Being with dad, being with mom, going where we're going. When are we going to be there? What are we going to do when we get there? How long are we going to be there? But they're not worried about what they were playing with anymore, are they? You know, one of the things about the, the call of God over our lives to be a follower of Jesus is that God calls us to forget the former things and to press forward into the reality of Christ. You know, Paul embodied this. Uh, I'll, I'll characterize it as letting go of the lesser things for the greater. The, every day of our life, we have to let go of lesser things. How many of you know that there are lesser things that the devil will bring into your life and he'll want you to hold on to those things so that you don't hold on to the greater thing? Let me tell you how that goes sometimes. God will be calling you to be a follower of him and the, the enemy will bring these lesser things into your life so that you can hold on to bitterness, resentment, anger, unforgiveness. You can hold on to, to those types of things. And the enemy will bring in those lesser things. He'll want you to hold on to your pride because somebody didn't invite you to a party. Because somebody didn't invite you, you know, to, their, to this thing or that thing. And you'll hold on to that pride and you'll be letting go of the greater thing. You know, as we follow God as dear children, what we learn to do is we learn to continually let go of the lesser so that we can hold on to the greater 
In this call on our life, it's every day of our life, there's a, there's a call upon our lives to do this. And I'm going to show you that. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to be bringing this out of three different passages tonight. But we're going to start here at Matthew chapter 4. The original, the OG call of God on the disciples found right here in Matthew chapter 4. The lesser things is what the enemy wants to bring into our life to complicate things. To complicate things. You know, one of my favorite passages, you know, is Acts chapter 1. Love it. I love Acts chapter 1. I love the whole book of Acts. We're, our family doing a Bible study through Acts. We just going verse by verse through the book of Acts. It's been amazing. We're in chapter 10 now. We're hitting the good stuff, right? But in Acts chapter 1, one of my favorite things about that is that the disciples are in this place, and, and they see the resurrected Jesus, right? And he's about to go back to heaven where he came from. Amen? And they start asking him, are you now going to restore the kingdom? You know, in, in uh, theological terms, that's called eschatology. So here they are, they see Jesus. How many of you know whenever you see Jesus, it's not the time to get into those kind of debates, is it? They said, are you now going to restore the kingdom? They wanted to get into eschatology right there, right then. And Jesus said, it's not for you right now. What you need right now is not eschatology. What you need is power. Amen? You know, it, it, it makes it simple, doesn't it? They, they wanted to overcomplicate it. They wanted to get into the weeds. They wanted to get over into the brush. They wanted to get into that place where there's all kinds of debate, where there's views on this and views on that. Well, what did he mean? When, when does the trumpet sound? When does this happen? When does that happen? When does this happen? And when does that happen? But Jesus said, you don't need that right now. You don't need that right now. And you know, in the church world, we can get lost in the weeds over issues. Now, I don't think eschatology is a sinful thing, obviously. We teach eschatology. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that the enemy will use anything to complicate things. But Jesus kind of made it back simplistic. He said, you don't need eschatology right now, disciples. You don't need eschatology right now. What you need, go up in that upper room, tarry, wait until you receive power from on high. What you need in your life is not a, 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 a didactic, a, a long, elongated study on eschatology. What you need is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen. How many of you know that's what we need? You, you can debate about the rapture, the post-trib, pre-trib, amillennial, no-millennial. You can, you can do all the debates in the world. And you know what? You won't have any more victory in your life before it or after it. You won't have any more joy before it or after it. You won't have any more freedom. No more liberty before it or after it. You can do as many Bible studies on the rapture and the, and the tribulation as you want. We can talk about the Antichrist till the cows come home. But it's not going to give you victory, is it? Only one thing's going to bring victory to you, the Holy Ghost. And so Jesus said, wait until you're endued with power from on high. Now, now he's not saying don't study those things. But he's saying first things first, children. First things first. 
And you know, if we're following God with simple childlike faith, we likewise should hear that call of Jesus over in, in Acts chapter 1 and say, you know what? Before I get lost in the weeds on other lesser things, I need to make sure that he's truly filling my soul, that he's truly empowering me. That he's truly the, the, the fuel in this motor. That he's truly the one that is empowering me to operate. And, and that really and truly cannot be overlooked. Because if you miss Acts chapter 1, you're operating in your own strength. And that's why things are so hard. When we're operating in our own strength, we're leaning on our own understanding. Remember I was talking about that this morning? When we're operating in our own strength, we're leaning on our own understanding. You may say, Pastor, no, I'm not. I'm not leaning on my own understanding. Just because I'm not waiting for that second baptism, I'm not leaning on my own understanding. Yes, you are. Because God gave you instruction. God gave you instruction. He said, tarry until you're endued with power from on high. You need that. And so that simple childlike instruction says, okay, Lord. Obviously, I can't do this, and I need your power to do this. You know, I don't have the power to, to love my wife the way that she deserves to be loved. I don't have the power to raise my children the way they deserve to be raised. I don't have the power to pastor a church, you know, the way a church deserves to be pastored. But you know what? If I get alone with God, and I get a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, I get filled with His Spirit presence with his power once I get alone with God and I come you know like Moses did to that burning bush I get in the very presence of God and the in the spirit of God fills me afresh you know what now I can do what God's called me to do I can be who God's called me to be I can go where God's called me to go amen I've got the greater now amen but what the enemy wants you to do is focus on the lesser the enemy wants you to focus on the lesser. As my wife was talking about earlier, the, the prodigal son, he, he left because he was going after the, the lights and camera in action. He was, going to the, he was going to the clubs. He was going to get an apartment in town. He was going to go, you know, do all this stuff and spend all that money. What was he doing? The world would call that the high life. That was the lesser things. The greater thing was to stay where the father was. Amen. So here in Matthew chapter 4, let me get into the word here. It says in verse number 19. Well, let's read verse 18. Oh, man, I keep backtracking. I keep seeing good stuff. In verse 18, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were, they were fishers. Were. They were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to change your profession. I'm going to change your calling. I'm going to, you know, how many of you know what fishermen talk about? You ever talk to a fisherman about what kind of bait they use? What time do you go fishing? Where do you go? Right? What kind of lures? What kind of line? Uh, how often do you go? Oh, I caught a big one, this one, and I caught a small one, that one. I had to throw that one back, and you know, and my, my net got tied up, and I got to get a new trolling motor, and I got to do this. A fisherman, that's all they're talking about, isn't it? What are they talking about? Lesser things. Lesser things. 
They're fishing for fish. They're talking about lesser things. But Jesus is going to change their calling, and he said, you're not going to be a fisher of fish. If you follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. In other words, what motivates you is not going to be lures and fishing line and nets and trolling motors and, and, and catfish bait and all this stuff. That's not going to be what motivates you now. What's going to be motivating you now is seeing the children of God born again, seeing lives changed, seeing chains be broken off of addicts, seeing depression leave, seeing demons cast out, seeing lives healed, seeing God move mountains. That's what motivates the fisher of men is to see the lost and know there's one hope for them. And it doesn't come from Caesar. It doesn't come from Biden. It doesn't come from Trump. It doesn't come from the good old USA. The hope of their soul, the hope of their family, the hope of a nation is none of those things, but it is only Jesus. That's what a fisher of men sees. A fisher of men knows and understands. I love the fact I, I used to be able to go preach. I hope I still get to after this court date. But I, I used to be able to go preach in the prison here in Bossier City. And, and one of the things that they used to tell us is that there was one and only one thing that, that in every metric showed that if a prisoner in, had this one thing, their return rate was virtually zero. You know what the one thing was? Jesus when they truly got saved and born again, they didn't go back home and commit the same crimes. It's called rehabilitation. And in prison, they try to do programs and they try to coach people and they try to, they try to use psychology and they try to use 12 steps of this and 12 steps of that. But if somebody went in there as a fisher of men and they threw out Jesus and somebody grabbed hold of Jesus and started following Jesus, then they never went back to prison. They got truly changed, rehabilitated. You see, Jesus was offering this to, to, to these men. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. How many of you know that you can't follow two people at the same time? Amen. You can't serve two masters. Who said that? Jesus. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't follow two different people at the same time. You cannot love, right? Two different spouses. You can't. You have to choose the God that you'll serve. You have to choose the God that you'll love. Now listen, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Look at verse 20. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. I see this in, in, in my mind. I'm, I'm just, you know, as I'm praying through this, I see this, and, and I can just see a picture. Like straightway, they didn't fold the net up. They didn't have an auction to auction off their fishing equipment. They didn't, they, they didn't go tell somebody, hey, here's my stuff. It just says they left it. Like they just straightway left it. I love that word straightway. You know, I remember a time in my life when God brought me deliverance, and I, I remember feeling God, and I remember knowing instinctively this was a moment God was giving me an off-ramp. 
This was a moment God was giving me a, an opportunity for a changed life. This was that moment. If I got off on that off ramp right there, God would set me free. But if I stayed going the way I was, I would never get set free. But it was a straight way. It was like a clean break. God said, now, now. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to drop it. I'm going to drop it. See, one of the things about me whenever I first got saved, I was smoking cigarettes. And you can, I may be touching on some toes or whatever, but I didn't even pray to get set free of that. I didn't pray to get set free of alcohol. But whenever I got saved, that power of alcohol was immediately broken. But I hid the fact that I was smoking. And I never prayed one prayer for God to deliver me from that. Because I just, I was like, well, you know, I'll just put on some cologne. And I was just having my thing. But, you know, there was a moment in time, I, I remember this like it was yesterday. I was driving down the road, and I got to a place to where I loved God. I genuinely loved God. And I believe God was working other kinks out in my life in the process, right? He was going to take that at the right time. And, and one of the things, I was driving down the road, I was worshiping God. I mean, I loved God. I was worshiping God. And when the worship song was over, I clicked it back over to country music, and I lit up a cigarette. And the Holy Spirit said, why didn't you do that while you were worshiping? Mm. You know what? This was a moment God was calling me to straightway leave. And I littered, I admit it, I took those cigarettes and I threw them out the window and I never had to buy a stick of Nicorette gum. I never had to go to any meeting. I never had to get counseling over it. It was just the power of God. God was giving me an opportunity. It was the power of God. I believe if I would have believed like that, if my faith would have been there at the beginning, I would have never had to go through that process. But there was a moment, and God revealed to me, this is that moment. Amen. And you know what? If I, if I would have said, if I would have said, I'll just cut back. I'll cut back. I don't think I'd be delivered today. I think that bondage would be greater than I could shake. But God was giving me an opportunity for a clean break straightway. Notice how God calls somebody. He says, come after me, right? Don't, it's, it's no, go ahead and do the auction and sell your net, sell your boat. It's not, you know, go ahead and get rid of your business. And when you're ready, then you can find me somewhere. Jesus shows up and he says, hey, follow me. In the heart of the disciple, the heart of the disciple says, he's greater. He's greater. He's the pearl of great price. He's the greater. These things are lesser. And they straightway drop the nets and go. And you know, I believe that's what God's calling us to live as. Anything that comes between us and the Lord, us and following Jesus, needs to be something we're willing to drop and straightway follow Jesus. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew 10. We're going to build on this. I love the word straightway. Because, you know, if God didn't put straightway in there, some of you procrastinators, you would have a leg to stand on. Can I get a witness? There was no him hawing. Y'all know what him hawing means, right? 
It, there was no, there, nobody was having to give word salad, you know, just trying to buy time with Jesus. It was no, well, you know, well, you, Lord, you know, Lord, well, you know, you know how it is. It was none of that. It was like, if you're going to get on this train, get on the train. If you're going to stay back, stay back. But the Lord was going somewhere. How many of you know he was going somewhere? He had a mission. And he gave these men an opportunity to be his disciples. You know, that's a privilege. And you may say, well, I wish I was one of the 12. Well, maybe you're one of the 1,200. Maybe you're one of the 12,000. It's a privilege to be invited to be a disciple of Jesus. It's an honor. Not everybody's a disciple. Not everybody is. Jesus said, many are those that go to perdition. Many are those that go on that wide path. But few are on that narrow path. Few walk on that straight and narrow path. It's a holy, reverent calling to follow Jesus in holiness. To love Him more than life itself. And He said, follow me. The, the train's leaving. How many of you know when the train's leaving, you got to make a decision? God gave me that vision one time in prayer in this church about a train. It's leaving. But notice this. So there was no, there was no hem-hawing. There's no waffling. There's no hypocrisy. How many of you know there's no hypocrisy in that moment? You're either following Jesus or you're still fishing for fish. You can't do both. Well, I, I, I'm a fisherman and I love Jesus. You don't understand what I'm saying. Jesus was telling these men, it's time to put away these lesser things. Come learn about God. Come learn the way of God. Come learn from the master. Amen. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus continues one of the best sermons. And we're going to pick it up in verse number 37. So Matthew 10, verse number 37 It says, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, a lot of people, you might have missed that one in your chicken noodle soup for the soul. But Jesus said, if you love father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's not that God doesn't want you to love your children or your parents. It's not that God doesn't want you to love people. Obviously, he wants you to love people, but not more than God. Not more than God. And, and it's not even one of those waffling kind of issues. He says, if you love them more than me, you're not worthy of me. That's a serious word. How many of you want to be worthy? Amen. And so part of that discipleship is loving him more than lesser things. And notice the next verse. He says in verse 38, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake, shall find it. One of the best verses in the, in the word of God for all the losers. Jesus said, if you'll be a loser, you'll find me. Lose your life. 
You know, a lot of people are holding on to their life. They're holding on to their image, holding on to their reputation, holding on to this, holding on to that. Jesus said, lose your life for my sake and you'll find it. Amen. How many of you know that he's he's the way, the truth and the what? Life. Life is found in him. Life is found in him. But I'm keying in on verse 38. A second time, Jesus tells someone they're not worthy. And what is it that they're not? How is it that they're not worthy on this one? Because they won't take up their cross. And here's our word for the sermon is follow Jesus. They won't take up their cross. Now, this brings us to what's called a Y in the road. You don't want to be like Yogi Berra said. He said, if you come to a Y in the road, take it. You can't do that spiritually. When you come to a Y in the road spiritually, you got to go with God or go with self. And, and, and Jesus here said, you have to take up your cross and follow him. Now, what does it mean? Now, I've never actually taken up a, a, a physical piece of wood cross. But I can tell you that there are things that I've had to bear. And that's what Jesus is talking about. John Wesley said over this verse, he said that the things, the cross that we bear, right, are sometimes bearing up under bad circumstances. Sometimes we have to bear up under bad circumstances. You might be having to bear up under a bad sermon. But God called you to love Him anyways. But sometimes we've got to bear a cross and we've got to go through bad circumstances. We've got to go through um, not favorable situations and stay after God. In order for me to follow God, there's things that I can't do. I've got to bear up under things and not quit. Amen. You know that there's times that people um, will, will stab you in the back. There's times that people will do things that, that you want to get mad about. There's times that people will let you down. Man, if you can't get over that, you ain't called the ministry. Because people will let us down, won't they? But you know what? God said you've got to take up that cross and that means you've got to be willing to bear up under bad situations, bad circumstance, even bad people. And make sure that it's not coming between you and your walk with God. I'm going to follow God anyways. I'm going to follow God anyways. Even if nobody else does, I'm going to follow God. Even if it costs me my reputation. Even if it costs me my pride. Even if people got to make fun of me for being a Jesus freak. Even if people got to make fun of me for, for being so crazy about God. I'm going to follow God anyways. Let them think what they need to think. Amen. That's a, that's a small cross. Our reputation. But here's the thing. Sometimes we've got to bear up under trials and difficulties to maintain this walk with God. But here's the other side of the cross, as John Wesley said. There's times that you've got to release and let go of what the world would even call good things to come after Jesus. That's part of the cross too. 
You know, it's a good thing to go swimming, right? Isn't it a good thing to go swimming? Cool off, refresh, but you know what? It's not a good thing to do it when we're supposed to be in church. Now, you may not have thought about it like that, but if you were really, really wanting to swim, right? But there was a prayer meeting. Bear up that cross. Let go of that what is a good thing and do the godly thing. You telling me I can't swim? I'm not telling you that. I'm just giving you a picture of there are things that are good, but in order for you to take up that cross and follow Jesus, sometimes it's bearing through bad things, but other times you've got to let go of what the world calls a good thing. And you know what's amazing about God? God puts his finger on things as you preach. There's things in our life that they're not evil necessarily, but maybe they're not causing us to be a better disciple, are they? Say, well, 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 what's wrong with Netflix? I love to Netflix and shit. Well, I could go through a sermon on why you shouldn't do that, right? But let's just pretend that you were watching something neutral. Is it helping you be a disciple of Jesus? Is it helping you go forward in God? Is it helping you to cultivate a prayer life? Is it helping you know God? Amen. Amen. These are those things that God's called us to do. And you may say, well, I don't want to let go of my Netflix. And that means that's a cross you got to bear. Amen. you got to let go of the lesser things and grab hold of the greater things. That's, that was really the, the kind of central thought that I wanted uh, to, to bring out tonight is that God's called us as disciples of Jesus. And if, if you're a believer today, if you're born again, you're a disciple. You're called to be a disciple. You're called to be a disciple. In fact, in the Great Commission, it said we're called to make disciples. Now, a, a disciple is not someone that just attends church whenever they want. A disciple is not someone that, that, that serves God when it's comfortable. You know, whenever the disciples, we, we just read that they straightway, they left their nets, they left everything, and they followed Jesus. And you know, that wasn't comfortable. And they stayed with Jesus for three and a half years. When we going to get our vacation? Everybody else I know gets two weeks vacation. We get holidays off, Lord. It's Labor Day. I'm going to go home and grill some burgers. The Lord said, no, we got somebody that needs saved over here. There's a prostitute over there that needs to know who I am. There's, there's someone over here who needs healed. There's someone over here that needs to get set free. You see, God never stops working, does he? God never stops working. I believe up until the final buzzer sounds, as Paul says, the last trump. Up until the last trump sounds, God's moving in our generation. Whether we are or not, God is. God will use a few. God will use a few. That's all God needs. Amen. So we see here that there's this call on our life to let go of the lesser things and grab hold of the greater thing. How many of you know that the greater thing is God? Amen. The greater thing's God. What, what does it mean to follow after Jesus? Well, first thing, we're going to empty ourselves of the old and we're going to be born again. But part of following Jesus means you're going to be faithful. You're going to be holy. 
You're going to be a, a, a vessel that the Holy Spirit can fill and use and, and send where He needs to send and go where He wants you to go and do what He wants you to do. You're going to be faithful. Not to me, not to a church, not to a denomination, not to a political party, not to a movement. You're going to be faithful to God, to His call. You're going to look in His Word and you're going to say, you know what, Lord, you said it, I'm going to do it. We used to have a saying of the church I got saved in. They said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. It's just a done deal. If it's there in the book, it's a done deal. I'm, I'm going to obey it. If I don't obey it, that's, that's on me. And more often than not, when people have issues, it's because they're not obeying something in the Word. Whether they're ignorant of it or not, it's another story. But more often than not, that's the issue, is... is we're not being obedient to what the Word says. But the call of God on our life is that we'll be faithful and we'll be holy and we'll be vessels for the Holy Spirit to fill. Amen? And I want to close this message in Philippians chapter 3 and show you how Paul embodied this message. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul shows us how he let go of the lesser things to grab hold of the greater thing, which is Jesus. Philippians 3 and we're going to begin in verse 4. The reason I want to take you back here, and I'm, this is going to be a, a good little section of Scripture, but I want to show you who Paul is and what he's done. And I believe... As John Wesley put, the cross that we have to bear, sometimes it's, it's not only the negative things, sometimes it's letting go of good things. It's letting go of good things to be a follower of Jesus. Verse 4, Paul said this, he said, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he had whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. In other words, there's no person that was alive that could say, they had it together more than Paul. He said he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. In other words, now there were people that were righteous back in the day, but it was because they obeyed the law. It's a whole nother sermon. But the thing that Paul's showing us is, is that when it comes to the law, he had it together. He had the name, he had the rank, he had the title, and he was performing the things that the law told him to do. Okay? It doesn't mean he was without sin. It means when he sinned, he did exactly what the law told him to do to, to deal with it. He had it together. Let me say it like this. He had religion down pat. He had religion, but he didn't have power. He had religion, but he didn't have victory. He had religion, but he didn't have the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. He had religion, but he didn't have the refreshing that comes from the presence of God. You know, one of the things that I see in the church world today is I see a people that have settled for religion... Paul had all the religion in the world that was humanly possible at the time. He had all the religion. He went to church when it was open. 
He went to prayer meeting when it was open. Somebody needed uh, their yard cut, he'd go cut it. Somebody needed to understand, you know, this word in Hebrew, he understood it for them. I mean, for religious purposes, he had it all. But he didn't have God. He had it all, but he didn't have God. And you know, we have to make a determination in our own lives as God's disciples, whether we want religion or whether we want God. And that's the reality. God has sent us help. God has sent us a comforter. God has sent us power. And the power is not in religion. The comfort is not in duty. Victory is not in ourself. But it's in God. You see, Paul, he got to that point where he figured it out. He had all the religion in the world. He, he wore the right clothes. He had the right title. He did the right things. But he had not God. And then he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus. And once he had an encounter with God, he had to make a decision. And just like those disciples in Matthew chapter 4, straightway he decided Jesus. When Jesus said, why do you persecute me? Paul returns with, Lord, who are you? In other words, I don't know where this is headed, but I'm going with you. I'm going with you. I'm going with you. He made a decision. He straightway dropped his net. He was on his way to persecute Christians in Damascus. And he dropped the weapons of war. He dropped his net. And he straightway made a decision for Christ. And you see it written here in the next verse. So he had all this religion, but look what he says in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. In other words, you can't hold on. You can't hold on to that and God. You can't hold on to lesser things and the greater thing. God won't play both sides of the fence. God's not anybody's co-pilot. God's not going to share that throne. Amen. God has called us to let go of the lesser things and come after the greater thing. And Paul, on that road to Damascus, he straightway dropped his net. He said, I counted all those things lost for him. He realized who he was persecuting, and God was giving him an opportunity to come clean. God was giving him an opportunity to get off that road that he was on. God gave him an off-ramp. He said, Paul, let me say it like he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And in that moment, God gave him an opportunity to exit off the freeway to hell. Do you know that God wants to use you to give people an off-ramp to get off the freeway to hell? God wants to use you, but you've got to get off that freeway to hell, right? And then God wants to use you to get others off that freeway to hell. You never know what a word does to somebody. It may be ripping them up spiritually when they get home. But when, when Jesus could have said anything... 
How many of you know he's God? He could have said anything. But what he said triggered something in Paul in a good way. Triggered something in Paul. When he said, so, so, why persecutest thou me? It was like the whole world stopped for Paul. You know, that's the greatest day of our life when it's like everything stops for us. When you truly know God loves you. When you truly know God has the power to set you free. When you truly know God has the authority and the ability to give you new life. When you truly know that he's the life giver, the life changer, the deliverer of the soul that's in bondage. When you truly know that and you choose the greater and let go of the lesser. Paul said, I counted all things for loss for him. And look at the next verse, verse 8. He said, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. Time out. Time out. We just went from the past tense to the present tense. For all of you English literature majors. Paul said, I counted when I had this, when I had this moment with Jesus on the road to Damascus, I counted everything lost. How many of y'all remember a time in your life when you counted, past tense, everything as nothing so that you could have Jesus? I remember whenever I came to Jesus, I told him, I'm done. I'm All I know how to do is wreck things. I'm done. I'm giving you all of me. Amen? I wasn't holding on to a dandelion. I'm letting everything go. I'm dropping everything, and I will be what you want me to be. I'm all yours. From this moment forward, I'm done. As Paul said, you know, in another passage, he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ in me. He lives by the power of the Son of God. Now, that's how God's called us to live. And in Paul, he said, I counted, and I remember, I remember when I counted all things as loss. I, I remember when I dropped the lesser. But can I tell you, every day I choose to drop the lesser. Every day. Every day, I have to make a choice to let go of lesser things. Pride, unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness. Every day, I have to choose to let go of lesser things so that I can hold on to the precious thing, to the beautiful thing, to that wonderful thing, to the king. And you know, sometimes it's bad things that i got to let go of, but other times it's good things. Wait. You see, one of the things about ministry they tell you is don't believe people when they tell you it was the best sermon and don't believe them when they tell you it was the worst. It's always somewhere in the middle. But you, 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 you know, whenever you do things for God, you have to let go of the good things and let go of the bad things because it really doesn't matter what people think. It really doesn't matter what people say. What matters is us being faithful to what God's called us to do. That's what matters. Say what God wants you to say, do what God wants you to do, and roll up, roll out. That's what God's called us to do. Now, let's continue in this. He said in verse 8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things. That's present tense. So he's, there was a past tense, now there's a present tense. You have to do both too. 
And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Now, that means everything that he had, he doesn't wish he still had it. He considers it nothing. He considers it nothing. And I'm going to read down to verse number 12. He said, Being, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. Now, let me pause right there. Again, this is another passage you won't hear in Chicken Noodle Soup for the Soul. So be careful what you allow into your life. Let the Word of God be the light for your feet. Amen? The Word of God is supposed to be a lamp and a light for you. Amen? Not those types of things. If, any, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Verse 12, this is where I want to get to. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. I'm letting go of all those things so that I can follow after Jesus. And in conclusion, look at the last verse. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth to the things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Guys, sometimes we've got to forget bad things. Sometimes we've got to forget good things. But we've got to make sure what we're doing is letting go of lesser things so that we can maintain the greater thing. And I don't know about you, but I found the one that my soul loves. I found the one that my soul loves. I found the lily in the valley. I found that pearl of great price. I found that one. I heard that call. Follow me. Follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. I heard the call. I saw that man that gave his life on Calvary. I saw that man that shed his blood for my sin. I saw that man that was bruised for my iniquities. I saw that man that was chastised for my peace. I saw that man that bore my stripes so that I could be healed. I saw that man that allowed a crown of thorns to be put on his head to be ridiculed and mocked, abused. I saw that man who bore my sin, who took my place, who did what I couldn't do. What's that? He got rid of my sin. He got rid of my sin. He got rid of my sin. God is holy and just, friends. And He doesn't just toss sin out. It has to be dealt with. One of the most noble things that's ever happened in the military is when a grenade gets launched and one of those servicemen, they know that it's going to kill all the people in the group. And one of those brave soldiers dives on that grenade, kills himself, but saves everyone else. Gives his life as a ransom. 
Jesus did that on an infinitely greater scale. He did what I couldn't do. He took my sin. He dealt with my sin. He removed sin. And the thing is, when you see that, you see the greater. You see the greater. Until you understand that, Jesus is just like any other thing. It's just a different type of flavor religion. But when you truly understand what Jesus did and who he is, that he's holy, that he's God, he's undefiled, and yet he chose to bear our sin. Now I'm willing to let go of the lesser things. Now I'm willing to forget those things behind so that I can reach forward to Christ. I'm willing to let go of the lesser to grab hold of the greater. And tonight, God's calling you to do the same thing. God's calling you to let go of all lesser things. I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to ask the Lord if there's a lesser thing that's been troubling you. A lesser thing. Maybe it's unbelief over an issue. Maybe you've seen other people go forward over this issue, but not you, not your family, not your tribe. Maybe it's one of those things where you're, you're battling something and you haven't been set free. I want you to let go of yesterday and reach forward to Christ today. At, but ask the Lord if there's a lesser thing that's been bothering you. And if there is, I want you to come to the altar and give it to the Lord tonight. And everyone else, if God's dealing with you about anything, we're going to open up our altars right now and give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. Father, we bless you tonight. We thank you, Lord, that you are the greater thing. Not religion, not denominations, not preachers or teachers, not generals of the faith, but you and you alone are the greater thing. And Lord, we ask tonight that you would search our hearts. And if there's any lesser things that we've been attracted to, there's any lesser things that have really controlled us. Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to us tonight. Show us. Show us, Lord. Open our eyes. Open our eyes. And this evening, Lord, those that come forward, I ask for your anointing. I ask for your anointing over every person that comes forward. God, that you would set them free. That you would give them liberty. Lord, that they would take this off-ramp and Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, for freedom tonight. In your word, you said where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And God, I'm asking for liberty over your children tonight. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Altars are open.